Welcome back to Tulsa Time with Bishop Connerla. It's great to have have you guys back. Thank you guys so much for uh, sending us uh, comments, sending us emails, reviewing the podcast. Uh, those things are always great. It's great to hear from you guys on what you enjoy, uh, future topics that you guys want us to talk about, uh, different questions you guys may have for Bishop Connerla. Um, recently, Bishop, we, you know, a lot of times when the diocese or Tulsa gets put into national news, it's either something really great. Or we hope. Well, we hope. Or sometimes it's not. You know, so, and a lot of times the whole cheer or boo, as long as they're making noise, doesn't really work when it comes to uh, 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 these kind of things. But we recently got uh, put into national spotlight with an event that happened with our our hospital, St. Mm. Francis uh, Hospital. Yeah, I think it, you know one thing for us to remember is how unusually blessed we are in Oklahoma, in a state that has maybe 8% or so Catholic population, but we have these tremendous great hospitals mm -hmm. in both sides of the state, you know, the archdiocese uh, as well as here. And here we have, of course, St. John's and St. Francis, mm -hmm. uh, both of which do just tremendous good throughout the whole diocese, really, throughout the, you know, there's clinics and in uh, other hospitals in other cities and all around. Uh, and the amount of, I mean, the, the many tens of millions of dollars of charitable care mm -hmm. that is done by our hospitals is something for all of us to be very proud of. The, the dedication, you know, the, 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 uh, Yeoman's work they did during the pandemic and that they do just all the time. So uh, that's something for us to be tremendously proud of. We, what, what made the news recently about it had to do with the um, kind of a spat. I don't know if that's even the right word to use. But uh, something that happened at St. Francis Hospital, which is that uh, they have a a candle that burns in the sanctuary chapel at the the South Hospital, and that was uh, pegged on a CMS uh, report regarding the hospital. Now, some background there. Uh, for St. Francis and for St. John's to be able to do what they do in terms of the charitable care for the poor, they rely, as most hospitals do, on being able to be reimbursed, at least to some level, uh, through Medicare and Medicaid. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what makes that kind of charitable care possible. Naturally, uh, Medicare and Medicaid have a vested interest in making sure that hospitals that they reimburse are worthy places to reimburse, mm -hmm. that they're good hospitals, they're offering good uh, care for people and so forth. And so as a part of the machinery that makes that happen, there is there are various inspections that happen in hospitals regarding things like nursing, staffing, and I don't know, surgical suites and number of ER bays and whatever all the things are. And part of that has to do with safety. And in a hospital where you have people who are on oxygen mm -hmm. and where you have oxygen available in the rooms, 
Uh, and for various reasons, fire can be a tremendous uh, danger, and open flames in mm -hmm. particular. And so naturally, in their inspections, they're concerned about and also focusing on, are there open flames in the hospital? When they saw, when the inspector saw that we have this sanctuary lamp mm -hmm. in the chapel because we have the Blessed Sacrament reserved there, they ticked that as an open flame. Well, brothers and sisters, you all have parishes. What's, what's the, the sanctuary lamp circumstance in your parish? Yes, you could call it an open flame in the sense that it's a living flame, but as in the case of the hospital chapel, it's a living flame that's mounted in a brass holder that has a glass case around the, the, the flame itself because it comes as a glass-bottled candle. Mm -hmm. And then that's placed in another glass case with a metal top. It can't fall off. It can't be bumped off. It's eight foot high on the wall. You can't reach it. Uh, if you're on oxygen and you walk in the chapel, there's no danger that you're going to get near the flame. It has been uh, inspected by the local fire marshal numerous times. They have no problem with it over all the many years and so forth. And so it was simply a matter, should have been simply a matter, of the hospital explaining this is a necessary uh, flame. This mm -hmm. is not a a votive lamp flame in a patient's room or something. Right. This is a necessary flame because of what we believe about the Eucharist and how we work the uh, recognition of the presence of the Blessed Sacrament in our chapels and so forth. Uh, and so we need an accommodation here. Mm -hmm. uh, the hospital asked for that and was turned down. Uh, there's something called the Joint Commission and. I'm not real clear on how all these things interact, but it's, the hospital asked for the accommodation from some someone up the chain, mm -hmm. was turned down. The hospital tried to explain further up the chain and so forth, and it just wasn't getting anywhere. And it was starting to come towards a deadline where uh, this needed to be either snuffed out mm -hmm or the accommodation granted in order for the hospital to continue to be able to treat uh, these patients. So the hospital ended up having to engage a, a uh, law firm, Beckett Law Firm, which often uh, represents people caught in what we generally would call, I guess, religious freedom cases, mm -hmm. uh, to send in a letter, you know, the kind of letter that a law firm sends do this or else. Right, you know. decent, yeah. And uh, and then that quickly and immediately brought about an accommodation. Okay, so that's a big, long explanation. So then the final piece. Everything that gets picked up by the news these days. Right. Right, it seems like everything that gets picked up gets pigeonholed into this and that. Okay, it's this kind of a fight. Okay, let's pitch it in that hole. And sure. And uh, often things get blown out of proportion. Either the news story can be very benign, but then people's reaction to the news story creates a whole other news story. Fuels it, yeah. Right. And so, okay, so what about all that? In, in my mind, in one sense, it was a small issue. Mm -hmm. uh, should have been a small issue from the beginning. 
But in, in terms of that, it was kind of a small issue. But what it relates to is something that I have seen and experienced as a member of the Religious Liberty Com uh, Committee at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and also as a member of the Laity Marriage, Family, Life, and Youth Committee. I saw this also when I was uh, chairing the Defense of Marriage Committee. I'm sorry, the Defense of Marriage and the Dark Arts Committee. That's what I always called it. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the issue of concern is the, the nature and the tendency of bureaucracies, and of course our government is a, a very giant bureaucracy, the, the nature and the tendency of bureaucracies to be inflexible and to have a kind of a from on high we're going to tell you this down below sort of thing. Uh, the catechism talking about uh, the uh, political systems and, and the duty of Catholics to affect political systems, one of the principles in all of that is a principle called subsidiarity, which says that the lowest level uh, of a uh, item that needs to be worked out between people, the people who are closest to the problem ought to be the ones who work on the problem. And this is an example of why, mm -hmm. because the accommodation was, was rapidly granted because it's a perfectly safe candle. It's a perfectly just issue. And once the people at a, a high enough level of authority within the system saw that, they, I'm sure, immediately were saying to themselves, what's the big deal here? Just let them do that. Mm -hmm. But the people lower than that were probably thinking, no, no, it goes against this rule. It's clearly written, and therefore it has to be changed. Sure. Okay. So, so, um, you know, we were thinking, what could we talk about with this? And I, uh, we're about to come into June. July 4th will be a month behind. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we tend to talk about and focus on uh, for July 4th is this whole issue of faithful citizenship. Uh, to remind one another outside of the political campaign season, even though now it seems like we're in uh, a, a never ending, a perpetual, yeah, perpetual yeah. political campaign season. But to try to find a, a time and a place away from the actual elections to, to remind ourselves and to even study for ourselves, to read and to educate ourselves mm -hmm. about what is our duty as a citizen as, and as a Catholic, because they're somewhat uh, different from one another. And so I wanted to recommend to people once again the bishop's website. If you, uh, if you were to search just in your Google search or whatever, uh, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, you could probably get away with just putting for, uh, formal Forming Consciences. It might even pull it up. <clears throat> USCCB or Catholic Bishops Forming Consciences or something. But... The, the website of the USCCB has a tremendously rich uh, resource for helping people understand how do we form our conscience and how do we act as faithful citizens. I think that there's a, 
a uniform dissatisfaction, even though the country is really, really divided and deeply divided by political parties, and now even by ideological positions, I think there's a common experience on both sides and every side of, gosh, we're not doing this very well. <laughs> right. That's true. Yes. I mean, uh, we treat each other like we treat the different sides like enemies mm -hmm. as opposed to fellow citizens who have different points of view and who are trying to reach uh, compromises and so forth. Uh, we don't seem to have much of that anymore. And so... Uh, no, you know, public discourse is has just yeah it, it's just not a thing any longer. You know, it used to be even even like people like G.K. Chesterton and you know these uh, these people used to have friends who have completely opposing views that, that, than they do in almost every every sense, right? Uh, I know G.K. Chesterton had a had a good friend that was like different in political, different in belief, different in like basically every worldview, but he was a good friend of his. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was and like that idea is. Yeah, has has been lost, I think, um, and it's okay to have disagreeing opinions, but you know, as Christians, we're called to love one another, right? And so, and I, I, you know, that's an example. I would be willing to bet that there still are, in you know, on Capitol Hill, there still are lots of examples of uh, people on different sides of the aisle who are friends and who do try to work together on things. But we don't hear about it sure. because the media tends to focus on the division and so forth. <clears throat> One of the things on the website here is something called Civilize It, civilizeit.org. Okay. And so this is one of the initiatives. Um, it's a campaign inviting Catholics to model civility and love for neighbor throughout the year. Uh, Civilize It colon, dignity beyond the debate, will ask Catholics to pledge civility, clarity, and compassion in their families, communities, and parishes, and call on others to do so as well. Mm -hmm. So it's noting that. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, if we see a really intense debate, let's say, online, we can choose to how we're going to react about that or talk about that. Mm -hmm. We can heighten it. We can try to spiral it up even bigger with our comments and our snarky <laughs> right. That's true. Things, or we can say, okay, here's here's two sides that are sort of at each other's throats. What can I do to try to lower the temperature of that debate? That kind of thing. Yeah. In in the catechism, I was also going to read this, just so that we see what the catechism talks about in terms of our duties. Uh, in paragraph 899, uh, the initiative of lay Christians is necessary, especially when the matter involves discovering or inventing the means for permeating social, political, and economic realities with the demands of Christian doctrine and life. So it's simply noting that <clears throat> we don't come to our political uh, system as Catholics, we don't come to it as a blank slate. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be disciples first and foremost above everything else, mm -hmm. which means that we want to take the demands of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want to see what can we do to help our political systems 
use and benefit from the demands of the gospel, how can we uh, move our political systems in those directions? Mm -hmm. So if my party, the party that I mostly align with, let's say, uh, has this or that initiative that aligns well with the gospel, that's that's great. Right. Let's let's try to promote that. But I also have to note where does my party or ideology not align with the gospel, and be honest and say I can't support that. Mm-hmm. Even though I identify with that party, I can't support that stance of that party or that politician, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a quote here from um, from a discourse of Pius XII <clears throat> that was then quoted by John Paul II. Lay believers are in the front line of church life. For them, the church is the animating principle of human society. This is all the way back to Pius XII, mm-hmm. Second World War. Therefore, they in particular ought to have an ever clearer consciousness, not only of belonging to the church, but of being the church. That is to say, the community of the faithful on earth under the leadership of the Pope, the common head, and of the bishops in communion with him. They are together the church, and they ought to be, as the church, trying to affect the political uh, circumstances of their day. Uh, This this, uh, this other uh, paragraph, 900, comes mostly from Lumen Gentium of the Second mm-hmm. Vatican Council. Mm-hmm. Since, like all the faithful, lay Christians are entrusted by God with the apostolate by virtue of their baptism and confirmation, they have the right and duty, individually or grouped in associations, to work so that the divine message of salvation may be known and accepted by all men throughout the earth. This duty is the more pressing when it is only through them that men can hear the gospel and know Christ. Mm. Their activity in ecclesial communities is so necessary that for the most part, the apostolate of the pastors cannot be fully effective without it. Mm. So that's all the more true because the pastors are not charged in their pastoral office with being the ones in the world working out these kinds of issues. It's precisely the laity who are in the world who are charged as a function of being in the world to be working towards these, uh, the, the integration of the faith in our political action. So this website that we have uh, on the USCCB page mm-hmm. has a tremendous uh, wealth of resources Everything from bulletin inserts to uh, teaching documents to short videos. Mm-hmm. And so I want to really recommend to people as we go through the summer and as we you know, move towards uh, July 4th, uh, that as Catholics, we take some time to look through the, do- the uh, website on the USCCB uh, webpage on how do we become better citizens, mm-hmm. precisely as Catholics. Yeah, and because we're Catholics, you know, we have a, a duty to kind of uphold like how we present our the, the gospel like in a, in, a, in a loving way, right? I, I loved how you said when we were talking about how online you can be very div- div- divisive with one another, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to remember that because we're, you know, because we are Catholics, we could be the only Bible, so to speak, that that some people read for the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could be the only connection to Christ that, that they encounter. And so how we portray ourselves mm-hmm. uh, is a reflection on like how they view how the church or how a Christian is supposed to behave. Sure. And oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. no, go ahead. Um, and so I, I just think that there's prudence that needs to be involved when we're online, especially like you can disagree with one another. Right. But I always use this rule in my mind that uh, whatever I write online, mm-hmm. um, if it is if it was read to my mom mm. or if it was read to my bishop, would I be embarrassed or not? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, there's the there's the what the content. Uh, take for example an issue that we've been uh, talking about recently in the state: the death penalty. Mm-hmm. We would like to see a world in which the death penalty is not used, uh, except for those cases that are talked about in the catechism. For example where, you know, maybe you have a country whose government is just falling apart and the only way for citizens to protect themselves is to make sure that the person who's committing murder in the community is, in fact, killed. Okay, so, but that's not most of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the most part, we have adequate penal systems that can... uh, put a person behind bars who's a danger to the community even for the whole of their life. So we would like to see that. That's a content that uh, we can stand behind and be very direct about. But how are we direct? It doesn't mean that the person who's who's against us on that issue is a bad person. Right. Though they may be. <laughs> we may be too. Right. Sure. People on our sure. side of an issue may be bad people. That's not the point. The point is, can we approach the the uh, conversation in a way that builds things up rather than tears things down? So that's what we're shooting for. That's right. Yeah, and I, that 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 takes discipline. I mean, and a lot of times that takes making sure, even if you want to say something, maybe it's more prudent to step away. Mm. You know, put your phone down for a little while. Uh, go outside. Mm. You know, get, get settle the emotions. You know, yes. before for just like firing something off really quick. Well, and the other, the other piece of it, and this applies more broadly than just this particular topic, uh, written communication of any kind mm-hmm. uh, is the least communicative, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we, as, as the kind of beings that we are, we get so much of our communication from what we see. Mm-hmm. So that's why body language is so important and a person's demeanor and so forth. And if all you've got is the written page, boy, I don't know how many times I've written an email to someone. I didn't mean anything by it. Right. And the way they took it, uh, you know, just was completely different than what I was trying to communicate. So we have to recognize that limitation of written communication. Mm Mm-hmm. And thus, we have to work harder at trying to overcome that by being very sort of soft in a way with what we're trying to say. Uh, Otherwise, people may certainly take it the wrong way. That's right. Yeah. Well, so I think uh, a good takeaway is is that over the summertime and as we approach 
the Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. You know, to 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 go onto the USCCB website that has you know, like you said, a, a wealth of knowledge and, and sure. be able to form our consciences so to where we're not like cramming, so to speak, for like like we do with te- you know, in, in high school. Not I've heard students well, do this. I never did this, but you know, cramming for tests right beforehand. No, no. Now they just go to Chat GPT. Yeah. <laughs> Right. No more cramming. Yeah. Um, I, you know, part of what makes me think of all this is what's already happening just as the candidates begin to line up for the next election cycle. And already, you know, the. It's already, yeah, starting to go back and forth. And so at a certain point, that just causes people to tune out mm-hmm. of the whole thing. But that's not healthy for our, um, our system of government either. One other little thing that I wanted to recommend to people, uh, I came across it again recently. I have a, a middle sister who's facing a cancer surgery. And so uh, early in June, she's going to be uh, facing this cancer surgery. So we're in, in an intense mode of prayer for my sister. Mm-hmm. And I came across again this little devotion called the Surrender Novena. And uh, I recommend it to people. You can find it online as well, uh, the Surrender Novena. The prayers in it are wonderful little meditations that help us to really move through our day. If we're facing something heavy, mm-hmm. to none, how, can, how can I find a way to give this thing that I'm facing that's heavy to the Lord in such a way that I can get through my day and not just be overwhelmed by it. And the meditations written in the Surrender Novena are very helpful for that, Hmm. to be able to pray this prayer that's written in such a way that it really focuses my mind on, yes, I'm going to give this to Jesus, and then I'm going to go through my day and trust that he's going to take care of it. Because he will. Because he will, yeah. That's right. Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Uh, awesome. Hey, Bishop, that was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, next week, well, let's see, what are we going to talk about next week? Are we talking about fatherhood, maybe? We can. It's um, coming up. Father, Father's Day is coming up. Yeah, so we have a, a, a whole host of different things that we want to talk about, but if there's something in particular that you'd like us to talk about, reach out to us on our Facebook page or, or leave us a review on, our, on the podcast. Uh, but until then, we'll see you guys next week. Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcast is brought to you by the Office of Communications at the Diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma.